Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. This is Inspiring Women, and I am Lori McGraw. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Yale Katz, and she is the CEO and co-founder of BrainCheck, which is a cognitive ability digital health company. I'm really interested to talk to her about that. We are going into a time period in healthcare called the silver tsunami, and so cognitive functioning is on a lot of people's minds. Yale is a neuroscientist. She's authored over 20 articles with over 1,600 citations. She's an entrepreneur. She's raised over $20 million in capital. And Yale, thank you for being on Inspiring Women. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Well, great. Well, I always start, you know, a podcast just diving into what are you doing right now? What does it mean in your day-to-day as the CEO and co-founder of BrainCheck? Well, (laughs) I'm running a 50-person company. Uh, We're hiring aggressively. We are building on our teams, both on the R&D side, so, you know, continuing to develop the product, and then, of course, on sales and marketing, so taking that product and getting it into the hands of users, and that keeps me pretty busy. Yeah, and so in that keeping pretty busy, you also sort of interested in terms of, you know, how did you get here? So just looking at your background, I mean, you're an accomplished neuroscientist and, you know, with many publications um, to your name. How did that career journey to researcher to now uh, CEO and co-founder happen for you, Yale? I guess I come from an entrepreneurial family. Uh, They're entrepreneurs by necessity, not necessarily uh, by choice, like it often is now. Um, I was one of the lucky people to go to college, Uh, so I went to Penn, Northwestern, and Princeton, and was able to uh, spend, I don't know, over a decade uh, looking at uh, neurons, networks, and how they work, and applying different techniques from, you know, computational and experimental techniques uh, to that. But I've always uh, been an entrepreneur at heart, I guess. It's something you can't really get away from, and I, at some point, looked to, uh, to start a business. And I guess I just wanted to bring life to something. So instead of the output of my work being, you know, publications, I wanted something, you know, real and tangible. And so uh, when I looked at leaving science, I didn't, or leaving academia rather, I, I didn't really know what was out there because I don't think I actually knew anybody that had a real job like ever in my life. And so uh, one, one thing that I did was join a consulting firm uh, and so in management consulting, it's not something that I would recommend to anybody. It's actually pretty terrible. But the good thing about <laughs> it is that you get to see kind of a lot of the world quickly and uh, get to do a lot of things that, um, that you wouldn't if you worked for a company. And so I uh, did uh, consulted to, uh, to Farm and Biotech uh, for about a year. And then uh, at that time, the startups were coming to New York. Uh, so I think New York traditionally is kind of a finance town. And back in, I want to say it was like 2011 or 2012, there was just a lot of 
uh, opportunity in tech in New York. And so I basically uh, had my picks of companies, selected one more or less at random um, in the video technology space and uh, was able to help that company grow from, I was like one of the first few people uh, to 60 or 70. And it was a pretty amazing experience. And after three years of doing that, I decided to, uh, to start a company of my own. And uh, then I just, I looked at the world and I said, you know, what's a problem that needs solving? What skills and experiences do I have to, you know, to bring to bear? And there was also a lot of luck that kind of went into it. So I so happened to meet David Eagleman, who became my co-founder and he had some ideas and I just decided to start a company and it evolved into BrainCheck. So I had no idea what it would be uh, when starting, um, but just kind of looked at the world and said, wow, if somebody is worried that they're not able to think clearly or losing their memory or something like that, it's just so hard to get an answer to that question. Like, what is really going on? Is this in my imagination? Is this a true thing? What area of my brain might not be working you know, properly, let, let alone why that might be? And so that was sort of what led to, to brain check. Well, what an interesting trajectory sort of, you know, with a desire to go from academia, management consulting being a pit stop that you wouldn't recommend. I love that. And then deciding that, you know, the, what was important to you was to start a company. So how did the landing on the idea of brain check from a, you know, just sea of opportunity happen? Was it the networking? Was it the trying to, you know, look at and then dismiss a number of ideas? Curious about that. Yeah, so I would say that BrainCheck was a technology and a product before it was a company. So just like there's innovation that goes into, you know, creating a new product, which was basically digitizing cognitive tests. So if a person does, you know, have a cognitive concern and they're smart enough to go to the doctor, uh, they'd get referred to a neurologist and then to a subspecialist called a neuropsychologist, where they'll be given basically tasks that they have to complete and by measuring speed and accuracy on those tasks, we can determine if the part of the brain that is required to perform said task is working as it should. And so the idea was basically to take that experience that traditionally happens you know, one-on-one -on -one between a doctor, the specialist, and a patient over many hours with a stopwatch, you know, to take that and create a digital experience. So that was kind of the idea, but I would say that an equal amount of innovation goes into the business model. And so imagine you could, you know, snap your fingers and produce this like amazing product that does that, you know, who are you going to sell it to and, you know, what would they use it for and so on, you know, making big statements like we want to democratize cognitive health and put this in the hands of everyone, give everybody the opportunity to take control of their cognitive health, like who is everyone. And I would say that that part of the business took, an, you know, it's, it's equally difficult, took as much, if not more time in figuring out and then co-evolving the product with the market, uh, as it were. Well, in terms of the clinical experience of um, doing cognitive testing um, on a particular person, is this a consumer is consumer focused company brain check, or is this um, something that you do in the you know in the exam room with a physician? How do, how does the company um, in innovation work in a clinical setting or in a consumer setting? Yeah, so if you're asking where we are now, we are squarely focused on the clinician. And so we basically have customized the platform to, to doctors and specifically to the primary care doctor, the generalist, to enable them to quickly and easily assess patients' cognitive health and then figure out who to refer on to the specialist. 
But in terms of like how we got here, I mean, we tried everything. Uh, we had a direct to consumer uh, version where we found that we we're able to get people, you know, that by internet advertising, you know, are you worried about your cognitive health to take tests? But like, then what do they do with that? We also tried uh, different organizations. So particularly one cause of cognitive impairment can be a concussion. So we spent some time, you know, selling to schools and to athletic organizations uh, that didn't work very well. We spent time looking at senior organizations. So, you know, assisted living and places like that. Um, and eventually after a lot of, you know, trial and error and um, really figuring out product market fit, we landed on the primary care physician as our target market. Gotcha. And so then the, let's talk about that business model innovation. So a lot of experimentation, but when did the business model part of um, sort of what you needed to focus on become important for your business, just in terms of the cycle? I mean, you've raised over $20 million, so you're not exactly, you know, at the early start startup stage anymore. Oh, no. So we started the company in 2015. I think that we worked out, took us about two years to create the technology and then really figure out the business model for it. And ideally, one would come up with the business model before creating the technology. But that's not <laughs> I don't, there. I don't, think that, <laughs> I don't think that's always true. <laughs> yeah. So we've been focused squarely on uh, the primary care physician, you know, since 2017. And, and not only do we have the, you know, the test, the cognitive assessment, but really a huge amount of our effort goes into enabling the doctor, making them the hero of the story and helping them to deliver cognitive health to patients at scale. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And so then how just sort of being going from again, academia to now into the healthcare system and trying to build a system and then sell into, how, how did that work? How did you form the right connections to build an effective product that was actually being used? I mean, it's always difficult to break into selling health systems. I mean, you know that you've been doing that throughout your career. I think, I'm not sure if academia really made it easier or harder to do that. Uh, it's difficult to find a health system or anybody really that wants to be the first uh, because it's challenging to be the first, right? You have to invest a lot of time uh, with a young company, you know, in working with them and being the first, I won't even say beta, but alpha customer. Our approach to that actually was to start out uh, selling the product to independent physicians, so private practices. And uh, that was important for a lot of reasons. Uh, first, it enabled us to uh, build out experience. You know, a doctor is a doctor, whether they're practicing privately or as part of a large organization. And fundamentally, the interaction between a doctor and a patient, I think, is similar. And uh, doc doctors like that are able to, you know, to make decisions quickly. There isn't like a complex sales cycle. And so we were able to build a business line selling to independent physicians. And that was really helpful when we approached, you know, large systems because it wasn't, you know, telling them, hey, like we haven't ever done this before. How would you like to be the first? I, I'm curious, yeah, like just, you know, in terms of you specifically as the leader, as the founder, co-founder, you know, and CEO of this company. So, if, you know, what were the leadership skills? Because it's not experience that you drew on um, to build this company. So what did you draw on? How did you sort of gain the right skills or, you know, um, you know, quick decision making that you've had to apply here as you built it? It, it was it just sort of, I mean, it's not luck. It's clearly sort 
sort of, you know, some, some things that are either innate or you're getting from whether it's a network of folks, just curious about you and what you drew upon. I've never been asked that before in exactly <laughs> that way. Um, well, I think if I had to pick one, I guess the term of the day is superpower that I think is responsible for my success in that area. I'd say it's storytelling and the ability to just connect with people over, you know, a problem, what needs to be solved. Let's agree. We need to solve it. Here's how and get behind me. We're going to do it and let's run up the hill. I think storytelling and, you know, you kind of have to do that in academia to some degree in the sense that, you know, you have to write a grant for your research. You have to recruit others, you know, to work on it, uh, students and postdocs and other people. And then you have to carry out a multi-year project and publish the results, speak at conferences. I think that aspect is probably shared between the two things. There's huge differences between students and employees. There's huge differences between, you know, writing a grant and pitching VCs. Um, but there are also a lot of commonalities. And it's kind of interesting. I think that my academic experience, I mean, look, I was probably, it was over a decade. I certainly learned a lot. It does translate, but probably indirectly. How much of that leadership experience that you have now is um, learned experience versus just like you sort of had it in your gut? I mean, lots of women talk about sort of like, you know, those aha moments where they um, either took like something they've been thinking about to then have the confidence to do something with it. And also I'm assuming that, you know, the pandemic had some impact on your business, which has been growing during, you know, half the, half the life of your company has been and practically during um, pandemic times. So I'm just curious about those leadership skills and how you develop them, whether it were big moments of aha and then moving to some next place to grow your company, or if it's just, you know what, it just sort of happened along the way and it was just doing the work that really developed those skills. I guess I would say for me personally, I struggled less with getting the guts or whatever you want to call it to do something that I've been thinking about. The thing that I did struggle with was decision-making. I think that that was a skill that I more consciously and deliberately worked on. I think that what you learn in business is that you really have to work together with people as opposed to, you know, multiple people in parallel doing things that like ultimately are on the same theme. It really is a much closer uh, degree of collaboration. And what's really important is to make clear decisions and even the wrong decision is better than no decision but to um, to be decisive and to communicate that clearly and I think what's difficult about that for somebody who has a, a science who's a scientist kind of at their core like me is that science is really all about possibilities and you know there's so many different things you can do and it's always what if and you know you're thinking about kind of all of them at the same time and making a decision I mean, inherently is about closing off possibilities. It's like, we're gonna go this way and we're not gonna do all these other 10 things. And whether or not you know, you're right in a way is arbitrary. It's just, it's picking a direction and saying, we're doing this and it's just because we have to pick one and we're doing it. And that's difficult, I think, for somebody with scientist DNA uh, like myself. Yeah, well, 
your enthusiasm for it is infectious. So it's really, um, it's really fun to hear you talk about, you know, how you grew into, I mean, a 50 person um, company is um, certainly uh, at a place of being established. Let's talk about raising money. You know, there is a lot of study today, just all this, you know, billions of dollars that have gone into these entrepreneurial digital health types of um, companies yet for female founders, that volume, those numbers are very small. 2%, 2.3% going to female founders. What was your experience as having raised money? I'm sure you'll be raising more, but what what was your experience in the raising money journey? I would say that consciously or otherwise, I did not emphasize my gender in the money raising journey. I was blissfully ignorant about a lot of these statistics. I never really thought about it one way or the other. I think once I started, I met a lot of people who re- would refer to me as like a female founder. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> that was kind of interesting. Um, I think that I certainly over time have appreciated uh, meeting other women. And um, that's something that I find valuable, but it's certainly not something that I look for uh, at the outset. Initially, I raised a lot of money from angels, uh, which may have been more product of me being in Houston which is not a tech hub uh, than my gender (laughs) one way or the other. I think that, you know, after there were clear, there was clear traction, I think people looked more at business metrics and considered diversity positive, which I also consider positive, Um, but it wasn't, I don't think it was really a focus for most of my fundraising journey. Yeah, you know, I talked to a lot of investors and some savvy investors are talking about being a female founder. It's never a better time. I don't know if it's because um, it's not anything special about being a female or if you feel that you're part of a club. What, what do you identify with to be a successful CEO today? I think that everybody has a different experience with this and each of those experiences need to be respected. I think that in my particular case, I mean, my gender really didn't have to do anything to do with it until recently when it became kind of a hot topic. I mean, I think it recently occurred to me that I was one of the only or the only That is so encouraging to hear. I have to say, to not feel that you're one of only, but you're just the CEO and the leader, it's really, um, it's wonderful to hear that, Yale. Let's talk a little bit more about, um, you know, what inspires you, you know, as you're growing this company, um, Brain Check, who do you look to? Who mentors you? Who are your heroes out there? Do you have people that you look to as you move on and move up in your own leadership? journey? I think that now that I'm called upon often to be a mentor, it is, it's actually a pretty hard job. Uh, I was talking to uh, some people uh, at Rice University uh, and they were asking for advice and striking that balance between like, oh my God, I do not want to burst this person's bubble and like just deflate them. They're so excited. Um, But then again, you know, you want to give the person good sound advice and not just be like, yes, go for it. It's actually really difficult to strike that balance and uh, learning how to motivate others and to, um, to give advice, but also to phrase that advice in such a way as like, this worked for me, take what you want from it and do what works for you. It's actually, it's actually not as easy as one might think. 
So uh, there are people that give me advice and I am really grateful uh, to them for how they deliver the message, you know, not only the message, but the way in which uh, they deliver it in, and they do so in a way that that's really motivating and uh, empowering rather than deflating. And I want to learn how to basically capture that skill so I can be a mentor to others. I think that is such important advice. I mean, being a mentor is not about just being an endless cheerleader without the real talk and the real advice and figuring out how to do that without being um, deflating is a skill. That is just a great comment. I appreciate that. Yeah, I've really enjoyed this conversation as we close out here on Inspiring Women. Any last advice you might give to listeners who might be thinking about building companies or forging out their own path for the first time? What would you, what would you say there? I would say that life is short and just do it. That's great advice. All right. This has been a great Inspiring Women conversation. I have been speaking with Dr. Yael Katz and Yael, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was a great conversation. I enjoyed it as well. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.